yes, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 17th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're looking forward to taking a look at the lessons for the second Sunday after Pentecost, which is coming this Sunday. And we're going to be also talking about tomorrow, the hymn assigned for the second Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Mark Smith. And I have the privilege of preaching tomorrow at 10 a.m. here on KFUO. And I'm going to be making a kind of a announcement about uh, why we weren't here last week. We had a couple of uh, repeats, etc. So listen tomorrow at 10 a.m. It's during chapel where during the sermon I'll be making an announcement. I'm really looking forward to today's lessons. I have a favorite verse in the Bible from Habakkuk. And I have a favorite chapter in the Bible, and that's Revelation chapter 5. And I also have my favorite chapter of the Bible that speaks about law and gospel. And that's part of the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, Galatians chapter 3. I'll tell you why Galatians chapter 3 is so important. Because it hits the very essence of the distinction of Christianity from every other religion in the world. And that distinction is really important. Uh, for example, I think I mentioned that I was driving a Uber a little bit, and I was going by a church, and it had a sign. It was a Baptist church. And it simply said, the way to the Father is through Jesus, period. And I looked at that sign, and I got to thinking, I said, you know, I'm not disagreeing with the sign, but it's really not giving any kind of message that couldn't also be given by uh, a Muslim could say it, a uh, Jehovah Witness could say it, a Christian scientist could say it. There's nothing really unique about it just by listening to the words. And I was thinking to myself, what kind of sign would I put up that really would catch people's attention and help them to realize how different Christianity is from every other religion. And so here's what I came up with. I'd have this on the sign. No work you do here on earth makes any difference as to whether you go to heaven or hell. Where did I get that from? I got that from Galatians chapter 3. And if somebody ever asks, well, I understand you're Lutheran. Why are you Lutheran? Tell them to read Galatians 3. Because it's not that difficult to understand what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians. Now, the text that occurs on Sunday doesn't begin till verse 23, but I want to touch a few verses to get into the context properly. Verse 2 says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit 
by works of the law or by hearing with faith. That's the essence of Christianity. In contrast to every other religion where you're saved by doing works of the law and you're rewarded with heaven or you're punished with hell if you don't do them properly, Christianity is totally different. Works make no difference. What God is looking for is faith. And what do we mean by faith? We don't mean that you believe that Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose. We're we're not talking about historic faith. We're talking about saving faith, which is trust in the promises of the gospel that are connected to the historic events of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. This is a huge difference. No other religion even comes close to this. So what does this mean? If someone thinks they're saved because they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that's called historic faith, and that saves nobody. The devils know that. They're not saved. The unbelieving Pharisees believe those items had occurred. They're not saved. What saving faith is, is believing the promise connected to his death and resurrection, namely that he died to forgive your sins and he rose so you might be justified. It's really, really quite a difference. And that's what the whole chapter of Galatians 3 is all about. For example, it goes on, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Remember God came to Abraham and said, uh, by the way, your really old wife and yourself are going to have a baby, name going to be Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac, and he is going to be a tremendous benefit to the whole world because through him will come the Messiah. Abraham believed that. And it says, and God declared him righteous. So who are the sons of Abraham? In Jesus' day, the thinking was, if you are related to Abraham, if you're Jewish, then you're a son of Abraham. And and Gentiles weren't even considered to be proper people of God. Well, guess what? Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, not those who are related to him or obedient to him, etc. You want to rely on the works of the law in order to be saved? Here's what verse 10 says. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. It is evident, now listen to verse 11, no one is justified before God by the law. For, and here again, he's quoting the Old Testament, the righteous shall live 
by faith. But the law is not of faith. This is such a good explanation. Why is the law not of faith? Because the very next part of the verse explains it. Part of verse 12. Because the law says the one who does them shall live by them. In contrast to Christianity, the one who believes the promises shall live by them. Wow. And then it's very clear that through Abraham, his blessing came to the Gentiles so that we, the Gentiles, might receive the promised spirit through faith. That, that's tremendous. Now, some people will say, okay, if you can't be saved by the law, then is the law really not that good a thing? And here's what Paul says in verse 21. If the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Notice it doesn't say to those who obey. It'd be like um, a young person comes to me, they're an orphan, and they say, boy, I would like you to be my father. And I look at them and I say, no problem at all. Just be born into my family. You see, that's impossible for them to do because they've already been born. They're already alive. But if I would give them some kind of condition that they could meet in order that I would become their father, that would be something. But it is really impossible for someone to be a biological child of a parent if they are not born into the family. And, and that's why it says, if there had been a law that could have saved, then we would be saved by our obedience. But there is no law. In fact, by being under the law, we are shown we are not saved. It says that the... Law becomes our guardian. Now, what does that mean? When Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, it became very clear that the reason they were removed is because they had disobeyed the will or the law of God. And that's what's so important about preaching proper law. The law is not a means of grace. What I mean by that. The law is not a method we can do in order that we will be saved. That just will not happen. The only means of grace is the gospel. Then why do we preach the law? Well, it's kind of like the reason you go to a doctor. You may just go in for your annual checkup. You're feeling fine. And you go in there and the doctor says, oh, you have a virus and we need to get rid of that because it will begin to have complications in your body. Now, you don't feel the virus, 
and you look at him and said, are you sure? See, the doctor is doing a valid diagnosis. It is not the treatment. It is showing you why you're going to be becoming sick. And so, what's the treatment? Similarly, when we preach the law, that is show, to show people, to diagnose them as sinful human beings deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. So the law was really important in making sure that we were starting to look forward to something that would save us outside of our obedience. And of course, that is none other than Jesus Christ. And in fact, when you trust, and here we go back to promises, when you trust the promises of Jesus, like he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and receive the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of sins, be baptized into the adoption of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ is in you. And that's not possible if you are a sinner. In the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, anybody who went in there without specific permission from God were zapped to death by God's glory fire. But we are able to come into the presence of God and receive the presence of Christ within us because that's what occurred at our baptism. So what does this mean? Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's really important because those were distinctions. Part of the reason that Jesus was angry and took a whip into the temple is because the money changers were doing their business in a court that had been reserved for the Gentiles and others, like the women, the children, etc., to worship. And they had filled the place with their money changers. Because there was a distinction between Jew or Greek, male and female, slave and free. But in Christ there is no distinction, for all are one. And what does that mean? Verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Now, you might think, well, is that because I'm related to Abraham? Listen to the next phrase, the last phrase in Galatians chapter 3. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Once you believe the promises that are found in Holy Scripture concerning the benefits of Christ's death and his resurrection, his life, and all that he has done throughout the Bible, you're saved, regardless of of the level of your sin. That's really important to understand. If you are a believer, when Christ returns, how's he going to find you? 
Well, he's going to find you as a sinner because we're always sinning, if not by deed, by thought, and by word. But all of that sin is washed away in the blood of Christ. We're forgiven, and none of it will keep us from going to heaven. So the the text for this Sunday actually goes into chapter 4. I mean, Paul says, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Why does Paul say that? Because as a child, let's say I have a son and he's going to take over my business. He's going to get all of the possessions that my wife and I have. But while he is a child, he is still under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. What does that mean? Well, what that is talking about, the elementary principles of the world, is that despite the condition of either being a slave or a son, we were involved with the pagan ways of life. And it took teaching, instruction, and finally the holy sacraments to bring us around. There's this very famous verse, and here's where it comes. Verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, that means when God was now ready to fulfill the promises, it says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Being under the law means that you are controlled by the law, that you look to the law as a way of your salvation. Jesus was born under the law that when he was born, he too followed the ceremonial laws, and he too became the victim as he became sin for us. He became sin for us at the baptism of John the baptizer as he underwent a baptism of repentance. But that repentance was, of course, a repentance for the whole world. Why did he do that for us so that we might receive adoption as sons? In Christianity... Jesus is referred to as the only begotten son. All the rest of us are adopted sons of God, men and women, male and female, because the son received the inheritance. And so it's not really doing a gender thing so much as it's doing a spiritual gift that if you are considered to be the son of someone in Jesus' day, you therefore received much of the inheritance. So going on, and because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, the English here has Abba, Father, italicized. And what that means is that that's Abba is one language, Father is another language. But I would only put quotation marks around Abba. Because I believe the word Father is the translation in the Greek that they're using for Abba, which is Aramaic, which means Daddy. That he is not a father for which you have to have fear or you have to watch out for. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. An heir of what? Well, what does an heir get? Gets the inheritance. Gets the gifts. So the father and mother die, and normally the oldest son, therefore, gets the best blessing, the inheritance, and so forth. Because he's more than a father, he's a daddy. He's one who cares for you, loves you, calls upon you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. So we're redeemed from being under the law. And being under the law means, boy, in the day that you sin, you're in big trouble. To be redeemed from that, that word redeem is a word used in Jesus' day, to buy someone out of slavery. So if you owned a slave, you could pay a certain amount, and that slave would be then considered as free. Well, Jesus did not pay with money. He paid with his own life. He died in our place. That's why Jesus is considered to be our substitute. And when he is your substitute, then it is as though you yourself were on the cross. And that's why the holy sacraments actually convey to you the benefits of the promises of the gospel. Uh, Romans chapter 6, you were buried with Christ in baptism. And therefore, in the same way, you will be raised from the dead. So through baptism, it is as though you are on the cross. It is as though you were buried. It is as though you are raised from the dead. Those are the benefits of believing the promises. If if there's one thing that Law and Gospel wants to get across to you, it's promises versus works. And I'll tell you, just take some time and go through Galatians 3, and even in the English, it's going to become very obvious to you that there is no salvation by obedience to the law, that our entire salvation is through belief. That means trusting the promises of the gospel. That's why law and gospel are so important. 
That's why, by the way, you don't give the gospel to someone who is not ready to hear it. And who are those who are not ready to hear the gospel? Those who don't think they are sinners. I have no need for the gospel. In fact, I thank God every day that I'm not like that tax collector. Remember the Pharisee? In contrast to proper Christianity, where every sermon needs to be an indictment against the people who are sitting in the pews, this is why you shouldn't be going to heaven. And then on the basis of the text, hopefully you can show to the people what God has done in order to overcome your problem of damnation, resulting instead of the gift to you of salvation. That's really quite a difference. If you listen to the promo, you will hear me saying that we are now through the season of Lent, through the season of Easter, and have finished Pentecost and Ascension, and we're now moving into the season of Pentecost. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at the hymn assigned for the second Sunday of Pentecost. And remember, I'm going to be making an announcement in the sermon on Tuesday that you can hear on Law and I'm sorry, on KFUO at 10 a.m. Till tomorrow then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.